0: and so they fire out digital chaff frantically in every direction. They play whack-a-mole with high-engagement nodes that are or could be threats. The enemy is now reactively defending themselves, not proactively steering the course. This is the Titanic, and we are the iceberg. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is is bitcoin audible what is up guys welcome back to bitcoin audible i am guy swan the guy who has read more about bitcoin than anybody else you know And we are going to start off the new year. So I've just posted uh, recently, uh, as you may have noticed, the full read for Green Eggs and Ham about decentralized finance by Anders and Alan Farrington. And then also the full read of structural adjustment of Alex Gladstein's piece. Which still, I have a guy's take on the way. I'm just getting my thoughts together. And like I said, I wanted to listen to it a couple of times and really let let it marinate before I dig into the uh, the anatomy of a fraud uh, with the uh, International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. However, I have been sitting on this one for I guess I got recommended this one maybe last week or week or two ago Um, on the chaffening. And what I find interesting about this piece is it's something that I've talked about a lot and I just really like the way this is framed. Um, And I want to keep coming back to this issue because I think it's very underappreciated how fast everything is changing, and how fast access to information and more, more specifically, the the splintering into a thousand different th- threads, the ideological foundation of the world is essentially undergoing right now. This is the Renaissance. I, I truly think this is an ideological Renaissance that we are witnessing and in the guy's take I want to talk about how I think it's manifesting and why it's manifesting that way and then essentially the the course that I believe it has already taken and maybe will continue to take into the future but on that note this piece is talks about a bunch of different conspiracies and kind of has a current or a a uh, a specific frame of reference that you don't have to agree with to appreciate what uh Aristophanes is getting into in this piece. And I think that's part of the point of what he is writing here. So without doing any more leading uh, to what Aristophanes is going to talk about, I want them to be able to lay out the perspective for us, um, lay out the the worldview, the Overton window for this discussion, and then I'll dig a little bit more into it in the guy's take, because I think this is a really, really cool topic and extremely Uh, applicable to the world that we are currently living in and i think it's really important to take a big step back and look at the big picture from time to time so that's what we're going to do with this article real quick i just want to thank our sponsors for bringing this show to you guys a huge thank you to CoinKite, the maker of so many amazing bitcoin hardware and security solutions They are a long-term supporter of the show, and if you have not used one of their products or hardware wallets, you're missing out. A huge thank you to Swan Bitcoin, who's probably was my first I'm excited about them sponsor for the podcast, and they have stuck with me. They are hugely supportive of so many content creators in this space, and they are such an amazing onboarding resource to Bitcoin. And then Fold, which which has completely replaced my fiat life fold is my one and only go-to and i get sats back on freaking everything and i find a way to use fold no matter what it is you've got links to all of these guys discount codes free sats right there in the show notes check them out with that let's get into today's read and it's titled the chaffening by aristophanes Aristophanes wants people who think resisting the regime is, quote, "...moving too slowly to realize how much has changed in the last 25 years thanks to the Internet." It's strange how access to information has sped up the self-education of the general public to a point where I think it is becoming a problem for the ruling class. Maybe that's why they're becoming insane, and trying to make the public discourse so insane. Let's talk. My uncle is an old school conspiracy theorist. He toiled away breaking coal with a pickaxe looking for diamonds compared to how spoiled we are now. An intelligent man, former Army Ranger turned long haul trucker, self educated, and autodidact kind of guy, the Anon profile. He was constantly gobbling up information in the pre-internet era. He's basically my subject matter expert on tap for anything to do with the trilateral commission or militia movement stuff from the 90s. He's my guy. But learning these things was so laborious back then. Having to meet people in person and accept information from them like at gun shows or etc. Reading books you had to go buy or physically check out because ebooks didn't exist and neither did the internet. Or what did exist, there wasn't much anyway. He filled the rest of the gap with talk radio and CB radio with other truckers. It's fascinating how truckers are either dumb as bricks or are wandering sages with astronomical IQ. They're truly both ends of the bell curve, much like combat arms in the military. My main point I wanted to address, and other 30-something or 40-something Anons can attest, is that access to information moves so fast and has become so effortless that people are going down the information waterslide at breakneck speeds. It used to be that you were a normie and at some point you got activated in some kind of alternate political or belief tunnel that was gatekept, but a bit off the beaten path. Maybe you became a libertarian or even had a Marxist phase or something. Eventually that stopped being enough. Maybe you became more of a generally conservative type, then an RW type, then more of an esoteric type once you get in there nice and deep. But this used to be a process that took a decade or more. I'm seeing Zoomers go from lulberts who were buying Hawaiian shirts and LARPing about the boog two years ago, who are now reading esoteric and political theory books. Four years ago, they were pretty close to normie, and now they're reading Evola and Uncle Ted material. This is also bleeding over into the real world in a very meaningful way. Mog the Urbanite was talking earlier about how dudes at his church are just openly talking about Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, Great Reset shit, and demons, out in the open, in a non-conspiratorial, matter-of-fact way. Younglings might not appreciate how utterly significant that is. I gained political awareness in an area where most people just thought George Soros was a hedge fund manager, And if you said the name Rothschild or Soros, people called you some tinfoil anti-Semite crank. For example, that live clip of Newt Gingrich literally getting yanked mid-interview for talking conspiratorially about Soros. This wasn't even that long ago, but enough people knew by then. Now, it's just a household fact. This is something that is a major change when observed in a decade-long timescale. This is a big f***ing change to the status quo. Information accessibility has, from the point of view of traditional gatekeepers, completely spun out of their control. That's why suppression of conspiratorial nodes has, for the most part, capitulated. In electronic warfare terms, the enemy has switched from jamming the specific frequency their enemy is using to just jamming all frequencies with white noise, just lunacy across the board. I think this is most easily observable on the chans, and specifically our poll. Reddit had central points of moderation they could easily control. Conde Nast executives at the strategic level, and subreddit moderators at the tactical level. They were easy. But 4chan was another beast. There's no karma, and there's no downvotes, and with everyone posting anonymously, you can't just ban the accounts that other people hold in high regard and replace them with your own. It's pissing in an ocean of piss, as we used to say. What really did the site in and probably cost the powers that be a pretty penny is just constant info-ops, trolling, board-sliding, and stupid BBC threads. But making 4chan suck did what Anans always said it would do, which is drive us off our containment site. The chans essentially fell on the sword— and lost their hermeticism that let deep autistic discussion and ops occur, which was a great loss for sure. But in doing so, the anon reality tunnel broke the guardrails and went off-road in every single direction, integrating with others. It was like there was a massive, dangerous cyst that was causing problems for the host, so they popped it, and infectious frog posters burst out in every direction, covering the walls, the windows, the doors, just a big nasty mess that they can't clean up or put back in the box. Now we've got Zoomers speedrunning political theory that millennial Anons pioneered through an experience that took almost a decade. 22-year-old Kaczynskis posting and chuckling with their friends with niche in-jokes about long-dead philosophers and ancient rites. Beautiful. I just want people who think resisting the regime is moving too slowly to realize how much has changed in the last 25 years or so thanks to the internet. Especially for the Zoomers who just haven't been around long enough to see it. It is crazy. In the mid-2000s, not many people owned ARs or any other semi-automatic rifles. Very few people casually owned body armor or night vision, and almost no one was training to gunfight as a casual hobby. We were all arguing... Is the Iraq war really necessary or another cynical oil play? That was the level of discourse then. Is this new war necessary? Do Muslims really want to destroy us? How much money is this going to cost? And arguments over the Patriot Act were akin to today's thin blue line cult arguing with the people who want you cancelled now. Now, the entire country is openly questioning, through one side or another, The legitimacy of various appendages of the government. The libs on the left are now calling SCOTUS illegitimate, while most on the right are calling 2020 illegitimate and that Congress is outright corrupt. Even if the world got a hell of a lot more clowny generally, the general public is like four times as informed now as they were back then. It makes my head spin to really think about it. I see random contacts from in real life on my phone popping up with Welcome them to Signal or Telegram 24-7. My great-aunt reads the Epic Times. My wife talks about demons. My great-grandma, who is 91, thinks we're heading for Weimar, Germany. The 22-year-old who fixed an electrical issue on my stove casually talked to me about adrenochrome, for f***s sake. There is so much awareness now compared to how there used to be almost none. There's no such thing as fringe anymore. You can only be cringe. The world is f***ing crazy and anything is possible. This is great because you can't solve a problem that people don't know exists. There is no conquering this ideological battle space for the regime. Conquering it all like they did in the days of TV and radio is just too f-ing expensive. It's all split up into a million different ideological fiefs. At great cost, you can conquer a fief, but not all of them. So, they fire out digital chaff frantically in every direction. They play whack-a-mole with high-engagement nodes that are or could be threats. The enemy is now reactively defending themselves, not proactively steering the course. This is the Titanic, and we are the iceberg. Every time they pop chaff in the form of a new psyop, pattern recognition kicks in and less people fall for it. A lot of people recover and stop being fooled faster, and less people fall for the next one. They're essentially stuck in a sheared, reactive OODA loop that they aren't willing to get out of. A death spiral of hubris, and the crows are coming home to roost. They just f*** up so bad ruining the chans. It's like they exiled a bunch of internet green berets to every neighboring country to train proxy forces. So, here we are. If 9-11 happened today, how many Americans would question it, and how many would implicate our government on day one? Repeat that to yourself two or three times. That's how much has changed. If you enjoyed this thread, you can check me out at aristophanes.substack.com where I review fiction and kids' books for Anons and mostly buy Anons. Alright, that wraps up the article by Aristophanes. Uh, Let's take a quick break for our sponsor and then I want to do a guy's take on this. A debit card that gets you sats back on every single purchase you make in fiat. Gift cards for major retailers with even more sats back, like 5% at Amazon. A daily spin wheel with free sats every single morning. Free sats and extra spins in the metaverse. And buying Bitcoin directly with your debit card. And 20,000 sats free just for downloading the app. Fold is where you get all of that at the same time. If you don't hate sats and you aren't using the Fold app and the Fold debit card, well, then you're missing out on a very great thing. Fold is fiat done right. Don't just use poverty paper for free. Get paid sats to use it with Fold. And again, you get free sats just for going through my link. You don't have to sign up and get the premium card or anything like that. My wife just uses uses my card, but she made an account. She got the free debit card free version of it and use it a couple times I think and does the daily spin. She saved up 270,000 sats. She barely uses her account at all and she never signed up or paid for anything. If somebody's giving away free sats, you should kind of take those free sats. Just saying. Go to guyswan.com slash fold. That is slash F-O-L-D fold after guyswan.com. Swan has two N's in it by the way. But don't, you don't even have to remember that because I'm such a nice guy. ...that I have the link for you right in the show notes. There's a description of this episode. It is right there below your little app. And there it is. Links, goodies, free sats, amazing. Fold. Get in it. Roll around in it. Enjoy it. Alright, let's jump back in. Alright, so... This piece was just such a good... ...reframing of... uh, ...something we talk about on this show. Or I guess maybe an isolation of a topic... That I find very, very fascinating is just how much the speed and accessibility of information has fundamentally changed how we think. And the reason I want to talk about like how this unfold uh, this was unfolding, particularly in the context of the mobile revolution that started really around 2010, going into heading towards 2014, maybe. Like If you listen to and or read uh, Michael Saylor's book, The Mobile Revolution, um, it's amazing how prescient he was about so much of what was changing and what was going to change because the iPhone truly changed the environment. And it's funny how much like I was pretty late on getting a smartphone that was data connected all the time. Like I wanted to go with a very simple, utterly basic phone plan uh, that just gave me minutes. I I didn't really want to complicate things, but the access to like maps and being able to search things online, like while you're just like driving in a car, having a conversation, it truly did change. It changed the conversation. Um, it was funny. I, I remember actually trying to get into the mindset of it, of like, wait a second. Like when we're just like casually off the top of my, off the top of my head, like We're having a conversation. It's like, you know, what's the origin of that word? I wonder what that thing is. And we just got into a habit of looking it up. And that's what we do now. Like every time we have one of those kind of rhetorical questions that used to just endlessly go unanswered is, oh, I'm just curious about this. Now there's always a thing in our pocket that we can just go look it up. And I think one of the big things of how it changed access is that you can now get, you can now find essentially an answer to any particular narrative like you can not, not an answer but an alternative viewpoint you can find any perspective that you want stupid crazy legitimate uh well thought out but wrong like the number and variety of sort of perspectives and theories on anything that you can find are essentially infinite like like that you you can as soon as you think you've found all of them, there are five new ones. You know, it's like in the context of like YouTube or something is that there are more minutes added a video added to YouTube than there are minutes. You know, it's like every minute there's like eight hours of YouTube videos uploaded or something like that. So it's not even something that you could ever catch up on. Like you could never watch everything on YouTube. In that same way, I think the ideological perspectives are splintering and coming up with their own iterations so quickly that even on like a particular topic you could just never find the end of the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole is expanding and splintering into a hundred different threads faster than you can comprehend what any particular set of opinions or breadth of options or alternative views there are on any particular topic or issue. Now a lot of people just see the nonsense but the nonsense is just a consequence of breaking through a consensus, an establishment consensus. And it's necessary. That's why I also think um, one of the key factors in assessing this new era of data availability that we are going into And basically the world that we're living in now, the problem that we have now is not access to information. The problem we now have is a filtering one. We have access to all information. In fact, we have access to 10 times, 100 times, a a billion times more information and uh, viewpoints than we could possibly ever assess. So now we need a way to weight information. We need a way to filter it. And essentially the powers that be and the platforms have come in and taken their attempted to retake or reestablish their control, their reins over the narrative by becoming the centralized filters and that's falling away. There were too many of them to essentially reestablish any degree of control and when you switch the content creator, when you make the user the content creator, there's just no feasible way to to censor at the level that is necessary and to the degree that is necessary and more importantly you begin to see how clear it is that this is happening you know Elon Musk and the Twitter files is such a prime example that basically every conspiracy and Elon basically said this exact thing that every single conspiracy theory they had about how Twitter was manipulating uh, filtering and shadow banning information and prominent people and alternative viewpoints was true And they were actively banning and locking away, basically isolating into these, you know, antiviral holes. Like they're just they were uh, quarantining essentially people of very legitimate position who were questioning the quote unquote common narrative and the political elite, the uh, the political class, uh, the agenda of the political class and the viewpoints of the political class. And this was a- actively happening. This was not a conspiracy theory. It was so obvious to anyone who was actually paying attention and gave a crap, uh, uh, even the slightest, about any attempt at an objective, open conversation about the issue. And honestly, the big takeaway for me, or the big tell uh, for me, was that they weren't arguing the data. They weren't arguing, they weren't making an argument. They were attacking the people. They were attacking attacking the perspective. You know, it wasn't presenting or contradicting the evidence of, you know, 100 independent studies that showed the effectiveness of ivermectin. It was a it was a broad mainstream media propaganda line to call it horse dewormer. That's not an argument. That's not a debate. That's not science, but it. Puts in a perspective of someone and then backs it up with authority is that you have the right authority figures say it, and they say this is horse dewormer, and then you put that into the minds of all the NPCs and the normies, and then they just turn around and they just dismiss anyone who is even talking about or presenting any sort of scientific evidence about the effectiveness of ivermectin in treating uh, basically all corona uh, coronavirus um, derived diseases or illnesses. It shuts them out. It shuts them down, and essentially creates a built-in insult and negative association to treat everyone and to establish everyone who even discusses it as stupid. And it makes perfect sense. And what's funny is you get this, the access to information, again, is such a great, ivermectin is such a perfect example because you still can't get it. You still can't just go to a pharmacy and get it, even though it was widely available prior to this whole situation. Like, I could go to Mexico and just pick up some ivermectin. But then why? So the question is, like, why would they attack this? And then you find out that the, uh, the Emergency Use Authorization Act and the legal precedent for that says that you cannot have an EUA for a new drug. You cannot establish one if there is any effective treatment available on the market, which means all of the vaccines now have to go through their normal 10-year process because, if there's any standardized treatment regime that gets spread through the medical profession and through hospitals and everything, well then it under, essentially they legally can't have an EUA, which means that the overwhelming, a damn near trillion dollar incentive of these organizations that have regulatory capture of our major medical institutions, major medical standards boards the uh cdc the nih uh the fda these things are so deeply intertwined and just uh, like spider webbed into all of the major pharmaceutical companies here you have a massive massive monetary incentive to prevent effective treatment that would result in the excess deaths of thousands Tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people who would not have died if they had actually gotten treatment. And a propaganda campaign through a mainstream media and set of news institutions which get 70% of their advertising uh, advertising revenue through pharmaceuticals because otherwise they would not get their emergency use authorization that will let them sell A brand new product to every government on the planet in the billions of units. Now, I don't care what you think about that situation. The idea of actively attacking and removing a safe treatment, whether or not it had any special effectiveness whatsoever on a novel virus that we do not know the situation of, that we need to be experimenting and testing any and every available treatment. Most importantly, the long-running known safe treatment options, every single one of them. We should be testing everything and trying everything because we have a new virus that is potentially very deadly and it is widespread running through uh, the population. And in fact, the one thing you would not want to do during the middle of a pandemic is vaccinate people. And this was shut down, this was removed from shelves, this was demeaned and attacked aggressively through the mainstream media. They tried to cancel Joe Rogan, who was prescribed it by a doctor. They had a huge multi-week campaign to call it horse dewormer in every hour of every newscast for weeks. I do not care what you think about ivermectin. That is crazy. That is not science. That is not objective thought. That is not trying to solve a problem. That is an agenda. Man, one of the biggest things about the entire COVID mess, the just utter insanity, was the complete lack of trying to find some sort of treatment regime. Like, the general, like, what what people were being told to do, what they were being told was that there was nothing to do, go home, stay sick, until you're bad enough to be hospitalized. And potential treatments with known potential effectiveness against exactly this sort of virus were removed from the market. Throw away all of the stupid propaganda, empty your head for a second and just think about what that means. That you would remove any potential treatment. I don't give a shit what you think you know about this treatment. That you would remove it when you are explicitly, every damn day, novel virus, novel virus. We don't know how bad it is. We don't know the long-term effects. COVID could be super dangerous. That's why we need a vaccine. Well, then that means you don't know jack about treatments. You don't know jack about the effect that any of these drugs would have. What logical, intelligent human being removes anything that could be a treatment from the market and tells people not to take stuff? That is manslaughter. That is manslaughter. And it is so anti-science. It is unbelievable. And the fact that we have people who are parroting that idiocy, the horse dewormer, the just blatantly moronic propaganda, so devoid of any intelligent or reasonable thought is incredible. But the pushback, the access to that, the ability to ridicule, that perspective and spread that the, an additional viewpoint an alternative path to spread the studies that otherwise you wouldn't have access to that without the you know the big three news stations covering or your, your major radio stations going back 20 30 40 years ago you would just never know about now i use this as merely one example but one example of something that's happening everywhere That's happening on every single topic and where trust is breaking down in all of our supposed reliable institutions and their processes. Like, for instance, like I just saw, like since the capture of the political medical establishment is has been made so unbelievably clear uh, through the 2020s, it's actually getting renewed interest from legitimate and highly, highly credentialed. Uh, medical professionals to look at things that we've been taking for granted for a long time because now you have to look at the process and you have to ask when the process so blatantly approves of and pushes things that are astoundingly illogical and astoundingly anti-science suddenly the entire process and the legitimacy of everything that they have said before comes into question and it forces us to reassess things it forces us to collect data and information that now we can just find at the speed of searching for a study searching for a collection of trials and independent uh, uh, data aggregation from all sorts of different sources now it's much easier to control a single alternative narrative or a single viewpoint to call it a conspiracy theory or demean it or you know call ivermectin horse dewormer but it is impossible to fight them all and more importantly the scope of narratives that need to be attacked diminishes the effect they have on any single narrative or any single perspective and this is why I've always thought, and increasingly through throughout the last like ten to twenty years, really really since I've went down the rabbit hole of the handful of topics that led me to Bitcoin originally back in twenty eleven is I've come to understand technology as the thing that really moves humanity forward because it changes our environment and humans are a product of their environment and our access to information and more importantly our over a current over access to information is going to make us better at filtering that information at judging and making sense of it and I think there is a portion of the economy that is diminishing uh, faster and faster that is basically Tightly and desperately holding on to whatever the authority says to because it's comfortable because it's incredibly difficult and incredibly painful to let go of something that you have trusted for so long and realize how much of what you think you know is in fact based on nothing or based on the opinions of people that should not garner any of your respect. That's a scary world to believe in it's, or, or to, to find yourself in. I can maybe liken it to the feeling that you, if, if for anybody who out there has been out in the ocean and been you know out floating in the ocean way, way, way offshore and just you get that sense, you get that feeling of unknown of how unbelievably deep how much there is underneath you that you cannot see, that you do not know, how far in every direction there is nothing there to save you or keep you safe. And there's this tinge of sort of existential panic of like, wow, I am I am untethered from all of the things that I think of as safe and reliable in this world. And that's a scary place to be. And that's what happens when narratives break down. That's what happens when trusted sources or quote-unquote legitimate authority gets called into question. And now suddenly you're in this, now suddenly you have the responsibility of figuring all this stuff out. You can no longer offload that responsibility on someone else, which is what most people do. And it's what, you know, I did for a very, very long time. I was very... Um, it was very establishment thinking, um, throughout high school and indie college. And I remember, I remember that feeling of realizing that I, there were no actual rules. There was no set knowledge that you could truly trust, that you could truly rely on that suddenly all of these things, it's, it's, it's adulthood. It's coming into the realization that all you did was blindly listen to someone else. And they don't have the answers to make that realization that you can't just trust the narrative uh, is not a comfortable place to be. And that goes doubly and triply for anyone who has made it a point of deep contention, that they have made it a point to demean or excommunicate someone from their social group based on what these authorities have said and to have put themselves at risk and potentially damaged themselves per this, this decision that they have... To realize that you didn't take responsibility for any of it, and that you never actually did any assessment, and that your idea of quote-unquote science was to just listen to what the news said, that you didn't actually read a study, you didn't go through an abstract, you didn't break down the data for any of it, because who really has the time to do any of that? But it's very, very comfortable to think that I can just let someone else do that for me, and then as long as the FDA says X, or the CDC says X, well then I'm done. I've I've quote unquote done my work when what you did was just blindly accept what someone else has said who has done the work for you. And then when those people prove to be either illegitimate corrupt beyond belief or just profoundly and deeply incompetent by their actions and decisions and the amount that they have attacked and made terrible terrible decisions policy that have been widespread that have been forced on hundreds of millions potentially billions of people. Well then suddenly you realize just how completely blank your entire scope of knowledge about the topic really is. You don't know anything. You didn't read the Pfizer reports. You didn't read the Pfizer clinical trials. In fact, nobody did. It weren't even available while you were talking about how the it was definitely safe and effective and there's no way to question it. You didn't even have data. It didn't exist. All you were doing was repeating the news. And then it gets released and you find out exactly the opposite is true. And they keep having to come up with excuses for why more of the vaccinated people died than the unvaccinated in their very own clinical trials, which is, in fact, just an excuse. And you could say all day that, okay, well, that has nothing to do with the vaccine. And maybe it doesn't. That's not the point. The point is they didn't have any data. All they were doing was going off what they were told. Nobody could go check the work and they tried to prevent us from being able to do so for 75 years and it is still a black box as to what they actually did we don't have the source we just have their conclusions and what they wrote down which they blatantly committed fraud in multiple multiple situations in that exact data which means the whole thing is moot the whole thing is garbage it's just a giant pile of useless information that is probably fraud it cannot be trusted that's a scary place to be especially with all of the decisions and policies and social ridicule and censorship that has happened in response to it. Can you imagine the weight of having to deal with all of the things you said, you did, you pushed, the people you hated and having to question every bit of it? I do not envy those people, I do not. But the ideological control over the situation has fallen apart, and honestly, it was arguably never there. Now, there was a huge swath of the population that bought into and simply went in tow with it, but there was a very significant contingent that we're pushing back from the very beginning, and we are two years into this, and look how deeply and quickly the entire narrative and the consensus with the establishment view has fallen apart. Now, I know I've made it very clear the bias that I have going into this conversation, but I want to reiterate one more time that regardless of the accuracy of the information around the vaccine and regardless of the uh, accuracy of the information around ivermectin, that the decisions and policies that were enacted were bad, terrible decision-making. They were bad whether or not it was true. Any issue around it was true because if it was true that ivermectin was ineffective and dangerous, if it was true that the vaccine was safe and effective, then they still made the worst possible decision by choosing to propagandize and socially attack the people who questioned it rather than actually answering them, and by censoring across social media in a concerted, publicly funded, state funded effort to shut down conversations around this. They did exactly the opposite of assuage anybody's fears. They made everybody double down and triple down. They poured gasoline on the fire of the conspiracy theories around all of these issues. They legitimized every alternative narrative by making the establishment narrative look defenseless and weak. But this quote... This quote from this piece, from this article, um, I kind of went on a huge tangent here, but that just been thinking about this issue a lot recently, and just how absurd, like how fundamentally and so powerfully incompetent everything that happened during the twenty twenty situation and the pandemic and everything really was. If you if you go back and just take any sort of objective, intelligent course of actions, like just think about the decisions of a of someone actually attempting to find the truth and actually actually attempting to keep people safe, what would have happened? It would have been polar opposite of what happened, of what actually occurred through through 2020. There is no intelligent person who can think objectively, like erase all of the crap and all of the preconceived notions and everything that did happen and just go, how would we deal with this situation if we were intelligent people who hoped to find the truth and hoped to save as many lives as possible? Then every decision they made was so Astonishingly bad. And I think that that era, that entire situation has basically steamrolled uh, people's trips down the rabbit hole. It has just based... It has, I mean, literally, it is fuel to the fire. It is fuel to the fire of the degradation of the trust in the establishment. And they have no control over it anymore. But this quote is... What made me want to read this on the show says quote, so they fire out digital chaff frantically in every direction. They play whack-a-mole with high engagement nodes that are or could be threats. The enemy is now reactively defending themselves, not proactively steering the course. This is the Titanic and we are the iceberg. That line I think is so indicative of how the conversation has changed because it's happening on social media, because it's happening instantly, and you know a, d- a decent example actually is, um, Damar Hamlin uh, ba- it collapsed and had uh, some sort of a serious issue in a football game, and uh, I couldn't get any information in the the main news media and in the ESPN, so I just went to Twitter. And it was crazy that Twitter had every single had a hundred different theories. People talking about what it could have been, whether it would be V fib, and you know all these different things. And I have no idea. I actually don't know any update on the guy's situation. Um, but uh, look it up if if you want. It's on Twitter. It's a crazy, crazy thing. But um, uh, but the idea is that I could get the you know all the shots. I could try to see. I could get all these different narratives and stories from a subset of different people from medical professionals from conspiracy theorists from everything that you could possibly think of in real time and i got it in seconds just by searching it on twitter it's just all anything that i could hope to find about it but i wasn't getting any of this on the news like the news is redundant now the news is delayed and too restrictive the users are now in control of the conversation like the market square is now dictating what information gets passed through what is what is valuable to one person and the areas of trust, the means of trust are spreading out where you essentially have, rather than there being one institution or one process or one regulatory structure in which you just blindly trust, we're finding people that we trust for each subtopic. This is the era of micro influencers where somebody has a speciality. Like for instance, I don't really know. I don't know jack about, vaccines, really. I don't know anything about drugs or pharmaceuticals. I know things about like political systems and incentives that might bring the processes or the institutions in question. But I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you anything about the vaccine. I don't don't know jack about the biology or the chemical, the chemistry involved in that. But I do know something about systems, I do know something about networks, I do know something about technology and human nature, and I know a lot about Bitcoin. So it's in that context that I try to think about and apply those things to other decision making. And in the absence of answers, what do you do in the absence in pretending that we don't know anything that we're like what we're talking about in any way, shape or form. What in that environment would you decide to do? How would you tackle a problem? How would you treat the situation adversarially? And that's why I place heavy, heavy negative judgment on the situation that happened around the pandemic and all of the policies and the regulatory agencies around it. Because in the absence of knowing anything, everything they did was retarded. And I credit Bitcoin with a lot of my adversarial thinking with Like network engineering is something like that society, that society is a network, Uh, society is a consensus mechanism, ideology is a consensus mechanism. These things are incredibly important and Bitcoin has absolutely, absolutely informed and fundamentally changed how I think and frame those problems. So in that view, and also just thinking about the experience of being human, you know. What has happened, what do you go through, what do I go through when we deal with changing ideas or someone challenging our ideas? I want to take that view of everything that's happened in like the last 20 years with the shift in our communication, our means of communication. So I think the first, and naturally, uh, the first natural response is actually for the quote-unquote established narrative, the Culture of the normie to get incredibly aggressive, to essentially double and triple down, because normie land and normie ideology is something that has been deeply, heavily, long term invested in. And what does any normal person, myself included, when they are challenged, especially with a legitimate perspective or Pointing out pointing out a contradiction—that's the worst. Oh my god! Somebody points out a, con- a contradiction in the way that you think about things. It's like a splinter. It's so awful, and it's one of those things that like a lot of people actually separate things in their minds. Like they they put different ideas or different um, frameworks in completely different categories in their mind, and they keep them separate because they don't mesh together. Because they actually apply a framework to you know their religion or like one way one aspect of their life or one topic that they're interested in to they, they apply a completely different framework to something else and they literally do not mesh it's they have this idea of the world or idea of the universe in which they believe in two things with two different patterns for logically explaining them. But to have something that you are heavily invested in, that you are ideologically attached to, to have a contradiction pointed out in the way the thinking happen in the way your thinking is, I'll tell you I know exactly what happens with me. I get angry. It's painful. You resist it. You're like, no. And you know, that's typically someone with a very weak weak confidence about how they think about something or with very little defense. They get angry. They get angry. They attack. They go. They become aggressive, and they say, "Well, you don't know what you're talking about. What? Why would I listen to you? What credentials do you have? Etc. Cetera, Etc." Cetera. And this feels like the establishment response. This is what has become the culture of Normyland: is attack the credentials. Say you're not even a real scientist. Do you work for the CDC? I can't believe you take horse dewormer. It's it's ridicule. It's social ostracization, that's a, that's a word, but it's basically leaning extremely heavily on the authority, on the legitimacy, on the social pressure and, you know, making everyone who disagrees with you a pariah. It's anger, it's defensiveness, it's weak. But as soon as you get an environment, a technological environment in which people are pointing out new viewpoints, People are having questions. Joe Rogan is having a discussion with a Nobel Prize winning uh, doctor who does not believe the narrative about COVID, who does not believe the official declarations of ultimate safety and ultimate never going to catch it, never going to spread it comments about the vaccine that we know nothing about. How dare you have that conversation? How dare you introduce it into someone's minds that my authority, the person I have offloaded all my responsibility to think about this topic onto, how dare you let someone question that? How dare you affect their, the view of me and my legitimacy in their eyes? You have to shut it down. You have to get angry. You have to ridicule them. You have to call Joe Rogan an idiot who is not a doctor. He commentates on sports and he did Fear Factor. What an idiot. I can't believe all the pee drinkers are listening to him. Now that's one minor issue and one microcosm of what I think has been happening over the last 15 years in all topics. Because the conversation has spread out. The users have become the content creators. The users have become the aggregators and the um, disseminators of news and opinion and narrative. And in doing so... There are a thousand little splinters. And it gets people to ask questions. It gets people to take a little bit of responsibility and search something out. To read a new article on something, it's like, well, maybe, maybe that is what happened. And then when you get particularly when you start talking about the corruption of government, it is amazing how blind we have been to the blatantly obvious. You know, prime example, the CIA killed john f kennedy i will tell you right now there is no organization of power or government in the history of the world that was able to get away with something so horrible and so blatant and to a degree that gives them so much power power to the point that suggests that there is no legitimate front-end government that we have a shadow government That the CIA decides anything and everything, if they are willing to murder, openly assassinate a president of the United States and get away with it, and they did get away with it, and no one was ever punished, that organization is not better today. That organization did not improve, did not increase accountability. That organization misplaces trillions of dollars and just says, you're going to have to suck it up that we're not going to tell you where all of that money went. That is an organization that is orders of magnitude worse and more powerful today than it was when they assassinated a sitting president. And what's funny is trust has broken down so deeply at this point. It has the needle and the Overton window have moved so much in the last 10 years that everybody was just kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Like it's barely even news. That's crazy. And that's the next phase of this. So after what I think would be the normies, the establishment doubling and tripling down and becoming aggressive and angry and defensive about maintaining the investment in everything that was, I think what happens is trust breaks down. Slowly, oops, gradually, then suddenly. Slowly, you have you know people who joke about the illegitimacy of certain institutions until... There is open discussion about why the hell we even need the FBI. That they've been blatantly and openly corrupt in so many different situations. Same with the multiple intelligence agencies. Are they even a net positive in any way? That discussion is happening today. That was unthinkable 20 years ago. And it's good that that discussion is happening is critical that that discussion is happening, because if you aren't having that discussion, then you certainly don't have any amount of accountability that would make them actually worth their weight. I genuinely don't believe there is any net positive of human institutions. That can survive under zero scrutiny and the default of just yes you don't have to tell us or give any accountability to anything that you're doing and we are just going to default assume that every single thing that you do is completely honest and we will not check your work or question you at all there's no good that comes of that so trust is breaking down and now consensus in the mainstream, and I think this is going to accelerate. We're we're at a very, very interesting point where the power and the influence of what the political class says is falling on deaf ears. And it's getting hollower and hollower by the day. And like Aristophanes says in this article is that the trip down the rabbit hole, the the, the pulling on and tracing threads back to their... Their original point is happening so unbelievably fast. And we do not know what effect that will have. We do know it will have the effect of change. Of massive amounts of change. And systemic change. We don't know what that change is going to be. We don't know what degree of power they're going to reestablish. We don't know how aggressive anyone is going to be who, has, who is holding the reins... ...and does not want to have them ripped out of their hands. It is likely that they will begin whipping... ...and they will be very, very aggressive... ...about anyone who threatens the reins whatsoever... ...that they hold on to. We don't know how bad this gets. However, the interesting thing is that the entire... ...the state itself... ...rides or lives by the... ...permission of social acceptance... By the permission of the population, giving them the default benefit of the doubt of you are legitimate and if there is ever a contest or if there is ever anything where we question what's happening, we will default to your opinion. When that support falls away, when they do not get the default assumption of the good guys, that is the end of the state as we know it. That is, that is the end of that regime or that system so to speak and i think it's very important to remember how quickly that point can be reached especially if this is accelerating i certainly hope it will be peaceful but i don't think there's any putting the cat back in the bag i don't think there's any going back to believing that giving them the benefit of the doubt they've failed so miserably and they were so blatantly and clearly corrupt in so many different instances in so many different ways. I don't know you you can't just get you just can't turn trust back on like a switch. It takes an enormous amount of time to build up trust, and it takes no time at all to destroy it. But that's why this is these are really exciting times. This is the discovery phase. This is when we entertain all manner of stupid and insane and crazy things and we try out all of it we we test out all of our different theories and all of our different ways and we sort out the the men from the boys so to speak we we find the concrete we find the reliable we find the consensus uh the consistent and we attempt to re-establish some form of consensus through the success of certain cultural foundations through certain cultural norms that are being born during this era. And it will be a very, very, very long, painful process. But I also think it'll be the quickest that this process has ever occurred. We are more culturally, socially, and informationally, technologically connected than we have ever been. And this is happening at a global scale. That's what the crazy thing, that's really the thing that gets me so much about this, is that our institutions have attempted to to consolidate globally because our culture, our information spread and essentially the undermining of traditional institutions is happening globally. Like we're basically becoming a global society really for the first time. And it's been kind of a hundred year process that's connected us industrially, economically, in a, you know, telecommunications uh, and the internet and, you know, now socially with social networks and things, and now we're bridging the gap with instant uh, translation and it's essentially covering, crossing all sorts of different walls and breaking down barriers one by one. Technology is just taking them out. It's like just a series of breaking through one wall after the other and watching, you know, the water, watching the the social um mixing basically spread out through every crack in every one of these walls and it's happening to such an incredible with such incredible force and to such an incredible degree and i think it's really just getting started like we're we're just open like things are just opening up it's like the the, the sunlight is just starting to pour in and there's still tons and tons of breaking to do But we're already trying to find the pieces of useful information and useful cultural standards and, you know, safe uh, uh, foundational heuristics to try to build some semblance of reality back as everything that we knew and trusted comes into question. And this is another reason why I find Bitcoin such a fascinating technology in this environment, because it is literally a consensus technology. It is literally an economic foundation for a a world of two hundred disparate economies that have been adversarial, that have been basically in contest from a monetary perspective, and it's tying them together. There's a there's a foundational thread that is that is growing in uh, kind of like uh how them attacking and, you know. Basically spreading misinformation, just nonsense on the chans. Basically spread them out like a bunch of green berets to every neighboring country to train a bunch of proxy forces. This is kind of why Bitcoin has a ground up as a grassroots technological system um, is such a such an incredible thing to witness. Because it happens everywhere all at once, you know, a half a percent of the world seems really, really small, but when it's a half a percent to 1% of 50 different countries and you realize that this is kind of a singular country, a single, a singular economy, something where someone in Senegal can build a tool that benefits someone in Eastern New York, like that. This is truly one economy and one ecosystem that is building from the ground up in tiny local communities all over the world, and it's happening at every scale too. It's happening in institutions, it's happening in small business, it's happening on the individual level, it's happening with families, Like it's it's happening at every scale, at every like level of scale, and in every tiny little corner of the world simultaneously to... Like small, just like small little pieces, which is incredible in how difficult it makes it to address and attack it because you can usually only attack it at one level or in one hierarchy of the the scope of the ecosystem. Like if you attack institutions and you like put a regulatory bottleneck, it. It increases the speed of growth and adoption in kind of the local community local family um, you know uh, areas particularly under extremely uh, it pushes the the wealth and the innovation towards people who have already been under extremely authoritarian and controlling governments and things which is why I think Africa is still just such Africa and Central America uh, uh, South America and Central America, actually. L- largely the global South is such a potent environment to see Bitcoin prove its reason for existence. Pro- basically a proof of concept that this is what could happen for the entire world. And the technology is reaching that point. The, we're getting an additional... Layer, like basically, you know, two steps forward, one step back. I think we've been in a one step back when it comes to the technological censorship and the consolidation into platforms. But we've got Nostr, we've got the gun protocol, we've got Keat and Hole Punch and Synonym, we've got Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, we've got Web3 and Web5, regardless of what you think about them. That's not really the point. It's the fact that we have pressure from so many different areas and from so many different perspectives on routing around this problem of recognizing that there is a problem here, and we're building a thousand different pipes to get around it, and one of them is going to flow. One of them is going to catch, and we'll find a new network where these sense this sort of censorship can't happen, where this sort of censorship cannot or manipulation of the discussion cannot be so blatant or simply has a hundredth of the effect that it otherwise would on a deeply centralized uh, singular platform that everyone is communicating on. And it might not even mean that we need a full-on replacement. It might just mean that we need another avenues to get around the, the shadow banning and filtering of Twitter, Facebook, and the like, that we can get the information. Like I have a Twitter group, I mean a Twitter group, a Telegram group of some friends who just share kind of Unpopular opinions about things. And that doesn't mean I'm off Twitter. Like Twitter might still be controlling the conversation. The FBI might still explicitly be paying people to censor stuff. I mean, I find it unlikely with everything that's happened with the Twitter files. I would probably halt that program if I was in that institution. But nevertheless, I have alternative avenues to get information. And as those, Continue to spread out and become increasingly censorship resistant and increasingly private and peer-to-peer Which is so deeply reinforced by a decentralized peer-to-peer monetary system and payment system like lightning these things Feedback on each other and I think it's going to push us very deeply into the next phase of this ideological and informational renaissance that we are going through um, and I think it's going to start to build and have us thinking very deeply about how we filter all of this information and who we trust um, and we're going to start to we, we've got we've got basic building blocks but we're re-establishing some means of making sense of the information. And I think the the course of action for the establishment is to just throw as many wrenches into the gears as possible. Uh, you know, you see this with, this is kind of a normal intelligence agency sort of tactic is you infiltrate and divide, right? You divide and conquer you break down their cohesion, you try to get as much misinformation, you get the dumbest theories possible. Um, like, I I still totally believe that it could be a complete psyop of, uh, and that sounds stupid, but I mean, just a tactic to distract and delegitimize alternative discussion by confirming all the alien stuff. Like, you know, there's been a lot of weird, dumb crap about that, and... Maybe it's completely true. I don't really know. I don't have what do I have a, the word of a bunch of documentaries and a bunch of videos and things on the internet, which increasingly none of that is uh, uh trustworthy. Like we're also entering a place where machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, uh, can basically bring into question everything that we see digitally. Everything that we don't experience with ourselves, like like personally, in meat space. He's called into question. Like, I can't even trust. Think about it. Somebody could live feed me a football game and you could have a a machine learning video video software change what's happening on the field in real time and make it look legitimate. There's a, if you haven't seen that video recently, I mean, not that like somebody airing a football would want to do that necessarily, but the idea is that I can't even trust live footage. Technology has gotten to a point where I have to take responsibility because I have zero idea. I can't, I can't verify anything from a distance and this is going to get really, really bad very, very quickly because as soon as these things start being used adversarially, which they may have already been being used adversarially for two or three years and we just aren't aware of it, but as soon as this becomes public knowledge, as soon as a major event or a a incredibly important situation is found to be a total fabrication or a total manipulation of our trust our belief that when we see a picture or a video or we hear audio of somebody saying something that that's actually a recording of them saying that thing or actually a video of them doing that thing when we realize that that is truly and completely untrustworthy The world is going to change. Um, And I don't know what that looks like. But maybe I'm an optimist. But I see something much better on the other side of this. I think think something more local means more accountable. uh, More honest. And more connected to what we actually know. And who we actually care about. And who we can trust in the real world. I think, I think more, lo- uh, a more localized government and more localized organization of people where across long distances, when, when you are trying to coordinate or come to consensus in a digital world, that you attach a decentralized money, something that you can digitally verify to it, I think that is a much better world. I think a distrusting world is one that produces better results because it is so often the things at the highest scale and that we are most distant from in which we accept horrendous acts and terrible decision-making because we allow ourselves to excuse how far away we are from it. You know, I think it's a very much out of sight, out of mind Situation, And I just finished listening to the audiobook of Ordinary Men, uh, which is about uh, uh, police battalion 101 during the final solution during Nazi Germany and the tens of thousands of Jews that they just, I mean, just mass murder, like incredible. And the fact that this battalion of men were just were ordinary men. They were normal everyday people, and it was, and it's an assessment of like, how can you turn normal people into mass murderers? And basically, the conclusion, or what I think is an incredibly detailed and thoughtful analysis of their situation and how they described things and how they excused things. It wasn't simply a oh this was because I was told to do this and I was following orders and I was scared that I was going to be killed. It it was far more a, how can you create a division of labor so that each person can have some, that the people who are really against it can just load the Jews on the train and believe that, you know, maybe they didn't get killed. You know, they just, they just went to the next place. I didn't do the killing. And, you know, it's just bad work. Everybody has to have work that they don't like and that they're not comfortable with. And how do you create social pressure? What kind of when your comrades say, you know, we have to do something terrible. You're not going to let us do it all by ourselves. Are you weak? Are you a coward that you can't do what's needed? And that the exception of war that because we're in war, normal moral standards don't apply you're supposed to think of it differently you know these are like common these are the mechanisms of the state of creating moral exceptions of creating uh, a form of demeaning and social pressure to make people feel ostracized when they do not agree with the establishment and to disconnect as much as possible The people who obtain the reward or make the decisions or, or, you know, apply some vote to something from the consequences of their actions, from the consequences of the policy they're supporting, they don't have to see the people who get punished. They don't have to see the people who pay that much more in taxes and are being devastated in the struggle and the pain and the frustration of seeing what they have made in this world, the benefit that they have presented That they have created for society and the productivity that they have done, stolen from them for a deeply corrupt and wasteful, immoral institution. And if you're super far away from that, then how easy is it for you to just excuse it? It's like, oh, well, they're probably mostly doing good. Oh, they're, I mean, who's, who's, it's just, it's, it's voluntary, right? You know, like, it's just evil, rich people that are having their money taken from them. We're disconnected from it in action. We're disconnected from the consequences. We get, they make the reward like as as blatant as possible they disconnect you from the consequences and the cost as much as possible inflation perfect example they print money so that the cost comes slowly and over time and then they blame that cost on evil businesses they're raising prices on you but the reward is immediate and in your face you're dis you're connected to the reward you're incredibly disconnected from the cost you get $1,200 check in your bank account. You get Biden bucks and Trump bucks. The state is here to help you and it's costless. There's no cost to any of it. And the only time that cost surfaces it's because evil free markets and evil business doers. That is an unsustainable society. That is an unsustainable system that grows like a cancer. And I think something that is far more local where the further you are From what is happening, the less trustworthy it can be, and the more blatantly untrustworthy it is. I think these are our problems to tackle. I think these are the challenges that we have moving into the future now. And I believe these are technological challenges. And I think we can sort them out. I think as as threadbare as some of the discussion is about it, I think it's being recognized and there are fascinating discussions about it. There are fascinating discussions about alternatives. There are interesting systems that are coming up to solve these problems. And I think there's also another critical and really poignant point made by Aristophanes is that no people can solve a problem if they aren't aware of the problem exists and i think that's where we are a collective awareness after the overly defensive aggressive response from the breakdown of establishment consensus we are in a new place where trust is splintering where all of the narratives and the ideologies are splintering and we're recognizing that we have a very very big problem and we're beginning to talk about And assess that problem in a very messy convoluted clashy not comfortable way in in the normal way that humanity deals with problems as in in the messiest most ridiculous way we brute force our way through problems which means we try every dumb thing that we could possibly think of and then kind of make our way towards something that's half intelligent or at least make some kind of basic heuristic practical sense to try and then we build from the ground up but it's the first part of the process but it's the it's the most important step to solving these sorts of problems and recognizing that we can't just offload this responsibility to everybody else that we have to sort through all of the crap and we have to deal it while deal with it all while getting blasted with chaff from the establishment And the powers that be who want nothing but for us to fail. Because that means they get to hold on to the reins for a little bit longer. But they are the Titanic. And we are the iceberg. And I genuinely believe that we are going to be in a much better world. That we are headed into and are building a much better world right now. It just means that a lot of stuff has to fall down. A lot of bricks have to be moved from their current location and put into a new one in order to do that rebuilding. So that's the chaffening. That's um, my ridiculous rant about all of this stuff right now. I think this is one of the most important things that's happening, honestly. And from a systems and like network and consensus perspective, it's so fascinating it's scary it's unbelievably scary because it's like happening to us and at us but it is so fascinating to watch this unfold and aristophanes is right and i think it's important for us to remember that it is happening very very quickly um and to a degree that i don't think many people respect it's it's easy to get it's easy to have tons of huge shifts in six months, and then kind of forget that six months ago things were night and day different. Because you just get normal to stuff; you get you get used to stuff very quickly. And we're also just so used to things to things moving so fast, of just having this new technology that's like a big deal, and you know the next iteration and the next version of things. We just kind of live in a very, very uh, aggressive and high-conflict environment. Um, And, you know, everything's running into everything right now, and it's it's insane to watch unfold. And damn, if the clown world didn't get super, super clowny. But hey, maybe that's the only way out of this. Um, Maybe that's the natural conclusion to a dying ideology. I don't know, we'll see. We'll see. I think Bitcoin is crucially important to this, and I, I'm fascinated by all the technology. I've been trying to do a deep dive in Noster um, a little bit, and I kind of want to have Fiat Jeff come talk about it. Um, we we like loosely discussed the possibility of doing a show about it, just because it's kind of like the bee's knees right now. Everybody's uh, buzzing about it. So if you guys want to listen to that, and you're still hanging out in this episode, let me know. Uh, shoot me a line. Boost on Fountain and leave me a comment or Twitter at me. I might not get the Twitter, but um, I'm trying to stay a little bit limited on Twitter uh, lately. But um, but yeah, Boost at me on Fountain. I've been trying to stay up on the Fountain comments, and I super super appreciate it, guys. You, uh, everyone who has been donating and uh, supporting the show is just it's so cool. I I don't know, like there's just something awesome about getting a thousand sats or you know, 500 sats just from any random person who's like, this was a really cool comment or maybe even to say something that like I said something really stupid. I I did have that a couple of times, which was kind of funny. And you know what? I will try to be better, but you know, you're going to get some of that. You're going to get some of that. We're going to guys rants go all over the place. So be prepared and enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's just me going off the rails and Who knows? Who knows where that takes us? It's a journey. And I love it. I love that I'm able to do this. This is a fun, fun thing. It's kind of crazy. I don't think I've ever done anything for four, five years that like at the end of it, I mean at the current state of things, you know, after I've been doing this for this long that I was just like, damn, I love what I do. It's just so much fun. I get to read all of this stuff. I get to read this great article by Aristophanes. I get boosted by a bunch of people who think I'm wrong about something or like really like some dumb rant that I went on. And I don't know, I get to talk about and think about all these things and I get to watch the world fall apart and be rebuilt. I feel like that's what we're doing. And it's cool. It's cool to be a part of. So thank you guys. Thank you everyone. Thank you Swan Bitcoin. Thank you Fold. Thank you CoinKite the fact that you mofos like listen to and support this show and the ridiculous things that we cover sometimes i don't know it's cool it's cool i can i can do this i love it i really really do so thank you guys welcome to 2023 happy freaking new year i didn't even say happy new year to everyone happy new year guys i think we've got a really awesome year ahead this is the this is just such a clean bear market and I really like why this bear market happened and I think we're going to build it like mad out of this one and I'm ready. I'm freaking ready for 2023. Let's do this bitches. I will catch you on the next freaking Bitcoin audible. I am not going anywhere. We have got tons of great reads and tons of great things to cover and talk about. And I am going to, I'm going to rant. So just angrily (laughs) and viciously about some IMF and World Bank in the not-too-distant future. So get ready for that if you enjoy those, even in the slightest. So don't forget to subscribe, and I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. Until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. Have no respect whatsoever for authority. Forget who said it, and instead look at what he starts with, where he ends up, and ask yourself, is it reasonable? Richard P. Feynman This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.